Thank you, music team. Y'all do great. Hey, it's the wobbly one again. Um, Jude, open up to Jude. That's where we're at. Like Matt told us last week, it's real easy to find Jude. You uh, find Revelation, the last big book, last book, big book in the Bible, and Jude will be right before it, single page, single chapter. And last week, Matt got us going on this passage, or on this letter of Jude. And if you remember, the theme, what's the theme? Anybody remember the theme? Oh, hey, we got the non-wobbler. I like it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, What's the theme of Jude? Anybody remember the theme of Jude? Beware of pretenders. And I think it's important as we study this and as we talk about pretenders and enemies of the gospel. Okay, in the world, you get people who are in certain camps and they fight against people in other camps or people who disagree with them. And a lot of times, would you agree that it kind of just feels like people just argue because they like to argue and be right and say other people are wrong? A lot of times it feels that way. When we talk about Beware of pretenders and beware of enemies of the gospel. It's not like we're setting up just divisions among people and different camps. We're like, hey, we want to be right. They're wrong. It's not about that. What, the reason this is so important and really the foundation that makes this so important is our love of God. Our love of God, that our love for God's glory and the fact that he glorifies himself through the truth and the importance of the church and our love for the church. The church is the body of Christ and we should love the church and cherish it and contend for the truth because that is the pillar, the foundation of the, of the church. And so it's really our love for God and our love for the church that should compel us and and cause us to be vigilant for pretenders. Beware of those who would pretend to be Christians. They would claim the name of Christ, but they are false teachers. They are false Christians. They are actually enemies of Christ who find their way into the church. And, And Uh, An important part of what Matt pointed out last week and what we'll see more of um, tonight is it's not like this catches God off guard. In eternity past, God knew there would be those who reject his truth, who reject his will. And frankly, all of us do that, right? All of us are born sinners and born rejectors of God, enemies of God, but In eternity past, he chose some for salvation, and the others are destined for destruction. Now, God doesn't choose like, hey, I'm going to make you sin and force you to go to hell. No, we go to hell when we reject Christ because we willfully choose to rebel against God. That is the destiny for those who are enemies of, the, of, of Christ, those who would claim to be followers of Christ when they are pretenders. And Jude wants those in the church, including us, the people he's writing to and us today, to be aware of this reality that pretenders will infiltrate the church and he wants us to contend for the gospel. The church must be protected. 
Tonight we'll read verses 8 to 16 in this short letter. And the theme from these verses, beware of false Christians in the church who are destructive and whose end is destruction. And verse 8 would really be a tough place for us to just drop in. So I'm actually going to read for us verses 1 to 10 to start. But the focus of our study will begin in verse 8. So verses 1 to 10 is where we'll start. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Father and Lord I'm sorry, deny our, I lost my place. I looked up and I lost my place. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things, they are destroyed. Our first section here, we'll title it Rejectors of God's Truth. Rejectors of God's Truth. And like I said, we'll pick up in verse 8 where Jude starts with, yet in the same way, these men... What are we talking about here? Well, these men, these are the imposters, the false teachers that Jude is writing to warn the church about. When he says these men, he's making a reference back to verse 4. Back to verse 4 where he talks about certain persons have crept in unnoticed. That's who these men are that we're picking back up on in verse 8. And the key thing that Matt brought up from verse four last week that applies tonight is that these are people who are pretending to be followers of Christ. That's why they creep in unnoticed. They can be very hard to spot, if not impossible to spot. They sneak in by stealth. They don't come in just proclaiming, hey, I'm an imposter. I'm a fake. They come in by stealth, and that is what makes them so dangerous. And these men are the focus of what Jude is writing about and the focus of our passage tonight. And it says, these men in the same way, in verse 10, 
Um, I'm sorry, in verse 8. And when it talks about in the same way, it's Jude who is referring back to what he just mentioned in verses 5, 6, and 7. So uh, in the same way, in verse 5, when God saved the Israelites, redeemed them out of Egypt, some did not believe. Some were unfaithful. And some rebelled against God. And in verse 6, he points us back, it's the angels, the angels who rebelled against God. And then in verse 7, the immoral inhabitants, the, the, uh, in, the rebellious of Sodom and Gomorrah. The men who creep into the church that Jude is warning us about, um, in the same way as, as the unfaithful Israelites, as these rebellious angels, as the immoral of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the same way these imposters who creep into the church rebel against God and their destruction is sure. And Jude is going to give us four characteristics beginning in verse 8 of these imposters so that we can be aware of what to look out for. And in addition to being aware of what to look out for and the characteristics of those who are pretenders, what is their destiny? That is also a big focus of what James wants us to pay attention to. And the very first characteristic he gives us is that they are not grounded in the truth. In verse 8, he says that these men are dreamers. They promote untruthfulness, and it's untruthfulness of their own creation. And it's a double problem, because not only are these imposters going to be condemned because they are followers of their own imaginations and their own dreams and their own falsehoods, but they bring down those who would hear them and listen to them. Because remember, our salvation is about coming to a knowledge of the truth. A person becomes a Christian. They become saved when they recognize key truths about who they are, who God is, and who Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us these truths and opens up our eyes to it. The reality, here's the key truths, that you were created for the purpose of glorifying God, having fellowship with him. But each one of us, chooses to rebel against God. And that rebellion, that sin, separates us from God and condemns us to destruction. But God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to pay the penalty, to live the righteous life that we could not live, so that through faith in him, these essential truths you can be saved and reconciled to God. See, the reason falsehood and these dreams are so dangerous is because there is only one path to reconciliation with God, and that's through the truth of the gospel. So these dreamers, by rejecting the truth and proclaiming their falsehood, not only condemn themselves, but they become a real danger for all who are around them who could be influenced by their lies. A genuine follower of Christ has their mind rooted in the truth. I remember a few years ago, I saw a, 
Like, I think it was, I don't even remember what organization was, but it was like, live out your truth. That's really dumb. That's really dumb. There is only one truth. All else is just a figment of your imagination. And when they creep in unnoticed and they begin to teach and they begin to propagate these untruths, it's a real danger for the church. It's a real danger for any church to allow just anybody to teach. And it's a, it can even happen casually, right? Like where maybe people aren't in an official position of teaching, but you know people who like, they have opinions and they like to speak up. They like to make those opinions known. When those opinions are falsehoods in ideas and dreams not rooted in the truth of God's word, it becomes very dangerous for all who would be around them. That's why as verse three tells us in Jude, we all have a role in contending earnestly for the truth, to know truth ourselves and to be growing in it, pursuing it. I mean, God has given us his word so that we can know the truth, be pursuing in it, be proclaiming it, be always growing in it. In beliefs, they have a way of directly translating into how you live in your outward life, right? If you're rooted in the truth, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. On the flip side, when you're spiritually dead, you are a slave to the flesh, you produce the fruits of the flesh of death. That's the second characteristic that Jude gives us here. They defile the flesh. It's a reference to a life of immorality. Uh, sexual immorality is one of the most prominent and probably the most prominent, but it can carry over into so many different areas, and we see it everywhere all around us. And nobody would ever deny, could deny, that we live in a very immoral world. And it's not just a 2023 thing. Look throughout world history. People, apart from the gospel and apart from being given spiritual life, are extraordinarily immoral because they are slaves to their flesh. They reject the lordship of God because they want to be their own lords and their own masters. And when you want to be your own lord and your own master, it will only lead to immorality every single time. The third characteristic Jude gives us here, again, very much tied to the same idea. When you reject the Lord, you want to be master of your own life. The third characteristic Jude gives us is they reject authority. This rejection of authority takes all sorts of forms because it's people who just want to run their own lives. When somebody says, live out your own truth, come on. You're being silly. You know what you're really saying is, I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to be Lord and master of our own lives. And if they reject the Lord's authority over them, it has a way of carrying over to rejecting authority of all shapes and forms. The authority of parents, the authority of teachers, bosses at work, the government, certainly church leaders, it's a rejection of authority. The list goes on and on and on because by nature, in their spiritual death, it's a rebellious nature. It's a nature that enthrones itself 
and causes them to not submit to anyone. And the fourth characteristic Jude gives us here is an interesting one. Did it not catch your, catch your attention? Like when Jude started talking about Michael the archangel and like arguing over the body of Moses? It's pretty interesting, right? The fourth characteristic here, they revile angelic majesties. They have a real lack of reverence and respect for the reality of angelic powers, of, of demonic forces. You can't help but think of those who go around like trying to rebuke Satan, rebuke demons, and talk to demons all the time. Uh, the, the, there's people who would claim to do that and go around actively trying to do those sort of things. And let me tell you, there is not one single place in the entirety of the Bible where God ever, ever, ever instructs you as a follower of Christ to go talking to demons, talking to Satan, rebuking demons, rebuking Satan, or really focused on demons or Satan in any shape or form. It doesn't happen a single place in the Bible. And it's the opposite, right? Who does the Bible tell us to focus on over and over and over again? God, the Lord. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Like, don't get focused on him. Focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on the Lord. Don't be trying to engage with satanic or demonic forces. Jude makes the point in verse 9 here, what he's talking about with Michael and Satan is that Michael the, the archangel didn't even do that. Uh, if, if he is so powerful and he didn't even do that, he's regularly engaged in that spiritual world, then why would you have anything to do with that? And the story that he's referencing here, uh, this is the only place in the Bible where this comes up. Now, Deuteronomy 34 does tell us about the death of Moses. So remember, Moses, he had a moment of disobedience, and so because of that, he wasn't going to be allowed to lead the people into the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy 34, Moses, it's his time to die. God leads Moses. He's not going to let him go into the promised land, but he's going to let him see it. And he takes him up on Mount Nebo in Moab, and he says, hey, look over the Jordan River, Moses. Look at the promised land that my people are going to inherit. God shows it to him, and then Moses dies. And what is very interesting and unique about the death and burial of Moses? Who buries Moses? God buries Moses. That's really interesting, right? And no one knows exactly where God did this. The most it tells us, Deuteronomy 34, 6, is that a valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. I'm guessing God, people had a high respect for Moses. Let's avoid the temptation of people trying to build some kind of shrine or altar where Moses is buried. God's just not even going to give him that opportunity. God takes the body of Moses and buries him. And Jude here gives us more insight into what exactly happened in that situation. Apparently, according to Jude, and I believe Jude because God told him this, it's God's word, uh, that Jude tells us in verse 9 that there is a dispute over the body of Moses, that um, 
Satan wanted to do something with it. And despite being an archangel, as powerful as they come, Michael didn't engage with the devil. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. I'll let the Lord take care of this. And if Michael, the archangel, takes that approach, the point Jude is making is we shouldn't be engaging with Satan either. Instead, turn to the Lord, trust in the Lord. Zechariah 3.2 is another one of those verses I love where Satan is directly um, bringing accusations against Joshua and Israel. And the response is not a challenge to Satan, is not to engage with Satan, but the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Jude tells us in verse 10 that people trying to revile angelic forces and, um, and uh, engage with spiritual beings other than God, they're demonstrating a mind devoid of the truth. So just keep that in mind. When you see that, and you will from time to time, it is a demonstration of a mind devoid of of the truth. In verse 10, these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Because they don't know the truth, they are slaves to the flesh. They are slaves to, like unreasoning animals, they are slaves to just the impulses of their body. Whatever their body tells them to do, whatever craving they have, they're a slave to it. They do not bring themselves into submission to God and his truth. And this is not without consequence. This is not without consequence. He says in verse 10, by these things, they are destroyed. Sin has devastating consequences. In this life, Sin destroys things in this life. Think about just countless examples of in your own personal life, throughout history, everywhere we see it. Sin has devastating consequences. But even beyond that, sin has eternal consequences. Damnation, separation from God. And that really leads us to expand on that, our second section here, starting in verse 11, the results of rejecting God's truth. He's already told us it's destruction, but he's going to expand on it for us here. In verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Jude goes and he just pulls Three examples, three examples straight from the Old Testament of rebellion and its devastating consequences. Rejection of the truth and its devastating consequences. To illustrate for us that the result of rejecting the truth is destruction. Woe to them. A pronouncement of impending doom. The first example, Cain. People are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4. Sin enters into the world in chapter 3, and it's chapter 4. You already have one brother murdering another. Apparently, God had made it clear to Cain and Abel 
Adam and Eve, that, hey, sin is such a serious thing that to atone for sin, there must be the death. There must be death. There must be blood. Animal sacrifice was required as an illustration of what it would take to atone for the destructive force of sin. And when it came time to bring sacrifices to God, Abel believed God, Abel trusted God, and the result of that was he brought an obedient sacrifice. Cain did not. It wasn't like God was sitting there thinking, oh, I, I want an animal, not vegetables, whatever. No, that's not what God, God the, it was about the faith in Abel and the lack of faith in Cain. That is what brought about God's anger. God rejected it. I'm sorry, Cain rejected it, leading to his destruction. The second example he gives here, Balaam. For pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Uh, Balaam comes from Numbers 22 and 25. You'll remember Balaam, he was a false prophet who was hired for money by Balak, king of Moab, to go and prophesy against the nation of Israel. For money, he was purchased to rebel against the truth of God. And the third example that Jude gives us here is Korah. Korah comes from number 16. Korah was prideful and he was angered when he was not chosen as a priest. And this pride, this anger, this rejection of God's plan for his life led him to rebel against Moses. Hopefully you're catching a pattern here where the lack of faith and the rejection of God's truth always leads to outward action that brings about death and destruction. Korah, because of his pride and his anger, rebelled against Moses and rejected not only Moses' authority, but more importantly, God's authority. And you'll remember, how was Korah destroyed? The earth swallowed him up. But his example is very instructive for the purposes of Jude as he's talking about the dangers of false teachers when it comes to the church. Because was it just Korah alone who was destroyed? No. 250 others who joined in the Korah-led rebellion were also consumed by the earth and destroyed. And on top of that, there's 14,700 additional people who accepted the teaching of Korah who were to subsequently die in a plague. That is the danger that Jude has in mind as we talk about false teachers within the church. It's again, not just that they bring destruction upon themselves, but the lies that they propagate are destructive for all who are around them. Part three here, verses 12 to 13. Five illustrations of the dangers of imposters. Jude is going to give us five illustrations here of the dangers that false teachers pose to the church. Verse 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you 
without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. He gives five illustrations here. The first one, they are hidden dangers. Hidden dangers. They're like hidden reefs, coral reefs. Coral reefs are below the water. And if you're driving in a boat or a ship and you don't know where the coral reefs are, they can be very dangerous because they're hard to spot. They're hard to know. That's why if you're ever on a cruise ship, like when you're just rolling through the open ocean, you know, you got your regular cruise captain that does that. But when you start to get close to the port or you got to go in or out of a port, they actually take a little boat and bring a specialized pilot who is very familiar with that area to do it. Because there are a lot of dangers as you get into the shallow water that are just hidden right below the surface that can destroy the whole ship. Coral reefs is what Jude is referencing here. And again, going back to verse four, the danger here is that they can be hidden. These, these, um, these deceivers can be deceitful, hidden, and very dangerous. He talks about the love feast here. In the first century, it was common for the church to get together and and worship around a meal. They would have their fellowship around this meal. And that's the love feast that Jude is referencing here in verse 12. And it was to be a time for believers to come together and encourage one another, love one another, um, share with one another in fellowship. That was the point. Uh, The fellowship of the church is a self-sacrificing interaction amongst one another as we look at not how can we care for ourselves, but how can we care for one another and build one another up. But the problem, again, going back to the what Judas already told us about how these men, these uh, pretenders, are slaves to their own appetite. He says here in verse 12, they simply turn these feasts into another opportunity to care for themselves. The second illustration he gives us here, they are pretenders. The pretenders are clouds without water carried along by winds. They know how to act. You know, they, they look like you would want them to look. They know what to say when they come into church to earn influence from other people. And they know how to talk. They know the right answers to all the questions in a Bible study. But they're pretenders. It's all head knowledge. It's all a facade. Their heart has not truly been given to the Lord. They have not been truly redeemed. They're like a dark cloud that doesn't bring any rain. You've experienced that, right? Like it's July, it hasn't rained in six months. Like you got huge cracks all over your backyard. It's kind of like this summer, right? Like the electric bill's like $2,500 a month and the air conditioner just runs nonstop. And then a cloud shows up on the horizon and you're like, yes, I see it building. This is finally gonna bring rain to my house like for the first time in six months and you get all excited about it and then it just skips away. It just skips away. That's who these 
men are. Autumn trees without fruit. We got about five minutes, so I'm going to be moving quickly here. Autumn trees without fruit. Think about what an autumn tree is. So you work hard when you're, you put yourself in the first century. You depend on these things for food, right? You need these things to eat and live and feed your family. So you plant these trees in the spring. You nurture them through the summer. You pour resources into them. You pour work into them. And you get to the autumn, the time of harvest, and there's nothing there. It was a complete waste of your time and your effort. There is no fruit. And now you're in big trouble. It's a, it, you don't have Taco Bell down the street, KFC. You've got nothing to eat because this autumn tree produced no fruit. The fourth illustration, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Uh, the, sea, the sea can be a wild place, right? Violent, destructive. You've seen tidal waves and hurricanes, the destruction caused from the storm surge and the waves. The apostate, the pretenders in the church, it's an illustration of the destruction that they bring. They cast up their own shame. The fifth illustration he gives here, wandering stars for whom the black of darkness has been reserved forever. They're like shooting stars, right? Everybody's seen a shooting star. It flashes for a moment in the sky and it looks brilliant and it looks amazing, but then it's gone and it's gone forever. That's how false teachers, pretenders often are. Think about to the parable of the sowers or the, the parable of the seeds, right? You've got the seeds that sprout up right away. They look fancy. They look great, but there's no root there's no reality there. And as soon as persecution and the challenges of the Christian life hit, they fade away. Same thing with the shooting star. It looks brilliant for a moment and then it fades away. Same thing with many pretenders who come into the church. They come in, they're fired up, they're excited, they say all the right things, but they have not truly given their, themselves to the Lord. And they soon fade away forever. The last section we'll quickly look at, verses 14 to 16, Jude reminds us that the imposter's destruction is sure. He says, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Jude quotes from a, the apocryphal book, First Enoch. So the apocryphal books, they are simply books of the history, written about the history of the nation of Israel from the, about 400 years from Malachi, to Matthew, okay? There's about 400 years there. And they're not biblical books. They're not canonized, but like Martin Luther, Tom Pennington at Countryside will tell you, hey, they're not biblical books. Like it's not God's word, but they're very helpful for us to know what took place during the uh, time uh, between Malachi and Matthew. And um, 
And so you'll remember Enoch here. First, Enoch was written uh, kind of under the name of Enoch from Genesis 5, and it was simply written under his name. And Jude quotes this because it would be a story that would be very familiar to his audience and illustrates the point very well. And the point that Jude reinforces from Enoch um, is that God's judgment against apostasy has always been certain. In eternity past, just as certain as God chose you to be his child, if you are in Christ in eternity past, just as certain he chose that those who would reject him, who would choose to reject him, would have an eternal place of destruction. Sin arrived on earth and God already had a plan on how to deal with it. And he gives some illustrations here that I won't really explain much because they kind of speak for themselves. Just again, characteristics of the, false, uh, of the false proclaimers of Christ. They are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust, speaking arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage all carrying that common thread that Jude's been pointing us towards the whole time. These are people who are slaves to their own flesh, slaves to their lust, because they have rejected the truth of Christ's lordship in their lives and instead made themselves lord of their lives. So what do we do with this? I'm going to give you three points. First of all, are you a pretender? I mean, I don't know any of you who come in here cussing all the time, and I don't know any of you who come in here like, I didn't see anybody smoking cigarettes over there while we were hanging out. Like, you all generally know how to act like good Christian kids, and you're all pretty knowledgeable on the Bible and have all the right answers. But you know what? If you haven't given your life to Christ, and you haven't taken yourself off of the throne of your life and put Christ there, and trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, then I don't care how well you know how to speak when you come in here and how well you know how to act and how respectful you are and how many Bible answers you know and book themes, you're a pretender. You're one of the people that Jude is talking about here. But the good news is you're not dead yet. You still have an opportunity to repent and turn to Christ Take yourself off the throne, put Christ there, and become a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel is, yes, you know, reality is we're all pretenders at one point. We're all, uh, maybe we don't claim to be Christians, but we all at one point, are, we're all born enemies of the cross, but that's the gospel, the good news that repentance is available to you and genuine faith in Jesus Christ is available to you. Turn to him because Judas promising you what your end is if you do not. It is destruction. If you are a follower of Christ, then I got two applications for you. This, the, the first application Keep growing in your love and knowledge of the truth. Keep growing in the truth because these pretenders are a real danger to the church. 
to your sanctification and your growth. They are destructive in the church and you need to be wise and you need to be aware so in growing in the truth so that when you hear people saying things about God, you know whether or not they're true because you know the answers are in the word of God and you go to that as your source and your authority. And lastly, share the truth and contend for the truth. We've been doing this evangelism thing. Share the truth and contend for the truth. That goes right back to verse three. Judah's writing so that you could earnestly contend for the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. That is your job as a follower of Christ. Proclaim the truth, love the truth, contend for the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for you giving us your word so that we don't have to make it up we don't have to guess. We don't have to follow just anybody's ideas, but we have your truth. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to teach us the truth and pray that you would continue to grow us in the truth and grow our love for you and help us for your glory and for the love of the church to earnestly contend for the faith that you have given us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.